0: Desires of the eye, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Good morning. Don't worry, Kip, with all these numbers, 1 John, Second John, 2 verses, I, I double-check, triple-check before I sent the scripture reading to you, before I put it on the slide, I'm like, is this right? Um, so over the past few weeks, um, both, well, just out and about, really, on Facebook and otherwise, I've had several discussions with both believers and non-believers about a bunch of different topics mainly related to sin and pride, selfishness and a few other things. But lately I have been reading through the apostle John's letters in my spare time. And as I was having these conversations, I kept coming back and thinking about that section of 1 John that Kip just heard or just read. Now, many of you may know that that June is recognized by some as Gay Pride Month. And with it comes the regular questions within the church about how the church can better reach those who are living in the sin of homosexuality. And admittedly, it's something that I and many in the church struggle with. And the church struggles with it for the same reasons that the church struggles to reach anyone Who is living in a sin that is, at least to the world, acceptable? Sins such as unscriptural divorce, premarital sex, pornography, etc., overindulgence in things such as money, food, alcohol, and drugs, and to some extent, murder, and I'm talking about abortion. How can the church reach these people with the gospel truth? Now, this morning's bulletin note, if you haven't picked one up, I encourage you as you are uh, leaving this morning to please pick one up. Uh, It's charging all of us with something along those lines. How can we reach the community? I encourage you again, read it and please respond. The Lord's Church cannot grow without outreach. And outreach is one of the ways that the church can reach those who are living in what we'll call world-accepted sins. The bottom line to this issue is, are we taking the gospel out to the world so that those who are in sin can hear it? Because weren't we all once living in sin just like everybody else? Weren't we all once comfortable in our sin? It may not be the same sin that they're experiencing, but it's sin nonetheless. Now, some of us sitting here this morning may still be in that situation. Now, something I shared from my morning devotional earlier this week is that becoming a Christian means one must understand that God's wrath is the only thing that is owed to man. If a person is an adult human being of sound mind, he deserves eternal torment, not uh, not for the sins of Adam and not for the sins of his parents. That comes from Ezekiel chapter 18, 20, but he deserves to go to hell for his own sins. Anyone who goes to hell will go there because he or she has chosen sin. And hell is the just repercussion of choosing sin. Man must be reminded of his sin so that he can be thankful for grace, love God fully, and honor and glorify God. Becoming a Christian means turning away from a life of sin, which means even the sins that may be identified as your lifestyle. It's a difficult truth to come to belief in and to obey the Word of God but one that is required to walk in the light as Christ is in the light. Now, the things of this world are not to be loved by those who are united with Christ. It's a very simple imperative that John gives us in 1 John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world. But what what does that mean? Do we understand what exactly John is saying there? Do we appreciate how important that command is? Now this morning I hope to shed some light on what John is teaching and to provide some, uh, some motivation to heed what is commanded in this passage. And we're going to do that by answering the question, why should Christians not love the world? Christians should not love the world because of what the world is. And for us to understand that, we need to understand what is meant by the world in 1 John chapter 2. So let's read again verses 15-16. through 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. If you've got a marker, keep your marker here in 1 John. We're going to keep coming back to this throughout the lesson this morning. Now the world in this passage is not talking about the physical world. It's not talking about God's creation. Now, how do we know that it's not talking about God's creation? Well, because in, first, or in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, when God looked at everything that He created, He said it was very good. All right. Now, to expand upon that, it's also not talking about the human world or mankind. John 3.16 tells us that God Himself loves mankind. So what is it? Well, verse 16 reveals the three categories of sin and where they come from, and that is the world. So the world that is being referred to here by John is the world of sin or the world of evil. A better way to think of it is the sphere in which sin, evil, and Satan dominate. And you've probably heard the phrase the wide world of sports, right, ESPN? This describes the domain in which sports dominate. So the world that we're not to love is the world in which sin dominates. Now again, John details the three things that make up this world of sin. Three things that categorize all sins. Every sin that is that is found in the Bible that we that we know as a sin can be categorized into these three different categories: lust or the desires of the flesh lust or desires of the eyes, depending on your translation, and pride of life. Now, lust of the flesh refers to the uncontrolled desires of the flesh. And Paul details these in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. There he writes, Now the works of the flesh okay, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now you'll notice that these desires, these lusts or works of the flesh, as Paul detailed it there, can be either sexual, social, or personal. Okay, I think sometimes when we talk about the words lust or desire, the sexual definition, like how Jesus uses the word when talking about adultery in Matthew 5, that's what comes to our mind. But these desires of the flesh or the lusts of the flesh include such things such as envy, drunkenness, divisions, strife, etc. Almost all of these things have an underlying characteristic or an underlying ingredient, something that Melissa brought up in class this morning, selfishness. What makes me feel good? What makes me feel happy? Instead of asking ourselves, what makes God happy? How can I please God or how can I glorify God in what I'm doing? What does God's word teach about this or that? The lust or desires of the eyes, that refers to the unlawful longing for things that we can see. Covetousness, basically. Materialism. Finding happiness in stuff and things rather than God. Idolatry, when you really get down to it, that's what he's talking about. In Paul's letters to the Colossians and Ephesians, he teaches of just how this type of sin, or this, uh, how serious this type of sin is. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5-6, through 6, Paul wrote, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And now in verses 5 through 6 of Colossians chapter 3, Paul wrote, Put to death therefore what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. See a common theme here, right? So lastly, pride of life. Uh, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> now, pride of life includes pride based upon things such as age, uh, experience, ancestry, life accomplishments, money, power, position, and yes, even lifestyle choices. Being proud or deriving pleasure from selfish, sinful, and even non-sinful things, because being rich is not a sin... But being prideful or seeking the admiration of others because of it—that's where it becomes a sin. Of course, when talking about gay pride, that is seeking the admiration of or admiration of others based on a sinful life choice. It's no different than saying, "Hey, you know, uh, next week is adultery pride week, or <laughs> lustful pride, or drug addict pride." There's really no difference. The world will try to tell the world of sin will try to tell us, oh, there is a difference. There's, that's apples and oranges. But it's not. One chooses to take drugs, and one chooses a lifestyle of homosexuality. There are no parades or months for those things, though. The world of sin that we're talking about this morning, the sphere in which sin and evil reign seems to be expanding more and more as society accepts and promotes sinful behavior. Now, if you're in 1 Corinthians 1, look down at verse 26. And uh, let's listen to what Paul has to say about the folly in trusting in prideful things. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world, or foolish to the world, to shame the wise. Essentially, our boasting, our pride, should be in the Lord only and not the things of this world. Now, these three categories of sin that make up the world, covered in our scripture of focus of 1 John chapter 2, each of them typically strikes harder at different times of life. Lust of the flesh seems to strike at a much younger age and will often carry on for a long period of time. When young folks leave home, leave the comfort and, and uh, the promise of home. It's something we'll talk about tonight, about sincere faith. But when they leave their parents' home and enter society, they are exposed, possibly for the first time, to this world of sin. And they begin seeking out the things that are pleasurable and selfish. Middle-aged folks are usually impacted by the lust of the eyes. I've come this far in my life, but that guy over there, He's younger than me. He's more successful than I am. I wish I had his life. Midlife crisis It's basically the definition of this. And those who are older than middle-aged, I won't assign a term, those who are older than middle age are likely to be impacted more by the pride of life. I've accomplished all of this in my life, and I wish more people respected or heralded me for it. Something along those lines. Now again, this is not to say everyone in these age categories are experiencing this or for sure going to experience those things, but it's something that as life changes, as we age, the things that grab our attention in this world of sin, those change as well. Now there also seems to be a tendency to consider one of these categories more serious than others. Sins related to the lust of the flesh seem to typically get more concerned than that of of others. For example, we assign mental levels of seriousness to things like fornication and covetousness. We consider adultery more serious than jealousy. But of course, sin is sin, and there is no sin that's worse than any other in the eyes of God. That's why when we think of sinful things that are heralded in culture, they tend to get more of our contempt and more of our attention than things perhaps going on in our own lives that we should be addressing. Because if we're not careful... We may focus really hard on fighting off the things that are immoral, such as lust, adultery, hatred, etc. And then that allows materialism and pride to sneak right in while we're focused on something else. So whether it's uh, immorality, materialism, or pride, they're all a part of the world that we're commanded not to love. But why? Earlier in Galatians, we we saw a reason why we shouldn't, because we, don't, we won't inherit the kingdom of God if we do those things, if we love the things of this world. But in our text, in 1 John chapter 2, John gives us another reason. Christians should not love the world because of what loving the world does. The second half of verse 15 of John chapter 2, or 1 John chapter 2 says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So loving the world makes it impossible to love the Father. That's what that verse means. The Greek for this verse literally translates out to, if anyone loves world, love Father is not in him. Okay, the of those and all of that, that's not in there. Those are That's part of the translation process. The, um, when I read this verse and I compare it to the whole of Scripture, I understand it to mean that those who love the world do not have love for the Father. That's what... Dave just mentioned at the table. Because the alternate that some take to this verse, uh, they take this verse to mean that those that love the world are not loved by the Father. But that goes against what Scripture says. For example, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So clearly God loves us, even those who are sinners and apart from God. Additionally, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, says that man cannot serve two masters, which helps in understanding John's meaning. And James teaches something similar in James chapter 4, verse 4. He wrote, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, it's pretty straightforward, but it's something that many may find it hard to swallow. They may say, well, I really enjoy getting drunk with friends on, on Friday night, going out and partying, but I still love God. I, I still go to worship every Sunday morning. I may show up 10 or 15 minutes late, but I, you know, I'm there. I still love God. Or say something like, I'm thankful to God for the career opportunities I've had, knowing full well in your mind that they've lied several times to their boss to get ahead in their career. This is sinful pride that causes us to mentally rebel against the idea of being able to love God while loving the world at the same time. To better understand this, perhaps we need to look at what the love of the Father means. What does it really mean for me to love God? Now, if we look a few chapters uh, later in 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, John says that it means that in order to love God, I must keep His commandments. Of course, John didn't come to this conclusion on his own. Yes, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but this is the teaching of Christ. This is something that he heard and something that he recounted and documented in his gospel account in chapter 14, verses 15, 21, and chapter 15, verse 10. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If we love the world, then we cannot keep God's commandments. If you are driven by the lust of the flesh to commit fornication, adultery, drunkenness, jealousy, etc., then you can't keep God's command not to transgress or wrong our brother. And that's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3-6. through There Paul writes, For this is the will of God, that your sanctification, Uh, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Turn over to 1 John chapter 3. here we're going to see that if you're driven by the lust of the eyes, the second category, so that you're always wanting more, you're always holding on to what you have for selfish reasons, then you can't keep God's command to help those who are in need, as John teaches here in 1 John 3, verses 16-17. through By this we know love, That he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Now turn to Philippians chapter 2. The third category of sin, pride of life. So if you're filled with the pride of life so that you consider yourself to be more important than others, you cannot keep the command to imitate Christ. Look at verses three through five of Philippians chapter two. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count yourself more. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, it is impossible to faithfully serve our Father in heaven and Jesus Christ our Savior. And in so doing, showing our love for them if we allow ourselves to love the world. But John gives us yet another reason why we should not love the world. Flip back to First John chapter two, and look at verse 17. "And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Christians should not love this world or love the world. Because of where the world is going. Where my PowerPoint is going. There we go. The world is passing away. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24. And James teaches us in chapter 4, verse 14 of his letter that our lives are but a mist here today and gone tomorrow. We know that in regards to our individual physical life, it's going to end. We know that. Unless, of course, Jesus comes back before then. And the things that we leave behind will also pass away as well. Because we also know that the world as a whole will ultimately come to an end. This means that the physical creation of the Lord, mankind, and the world of sin that we're talking about this morning is all going to go away. But in contrast to the fact that the world is passing away, John says that those who do the will of God, they abide forever because He will be blessed to enter the heavenly kingdom. That's what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He said, "...not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father." who is in heaven. This is ultimately, I hope, what we all want, right? Do we not want to one day hear the words uttered by Christ in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set over you much. Enter into the joy of your Master. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world in this lifetime, but in the process forfeits his soul? Is it worth it? Are the sins in this world worth it? We should give serious attention to understanding and applying John's teaching and ensure that our affection is in the right place. We should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And not love this world because this world is a world of sin. Because loving the world makes it impossible to keep the commandments of God. And because this world, like us, is passing away. Are you keeping the commandments of God? Do you love the Lord and desire to keep His commands? If so, how can the church assist you in that this morning? If you desire to obey the command to be baptized for the remission of your sins, the water is ready. What's stopping you? If you need to repent this morning or you have any other need that the church can assist you with, now is the time as we are about to sing a song that you can come forward and let your request be known.